Hello everyone, and welcome to Do I Still Love It, the podcast that's all about nostalgia from your childhood, assuming that you're approximately in your 30s. I'm Marshall James. The Oregon Trail generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you remember a time before the internet, this podcast is for you. Yes. Uh... So, I mean, not to send people away. I'm sure, like, the land before... If you want to listen, you can fucking listen. You can listen. I mean, I guess if you're a millennial generation person, which we all technically are now, because who needs Gen Y, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're part of the 25 to 30 year age span that The Economist likes to call the millennials, uh, this is the show for you. I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. And I'm the guest host. (laughs) <laughs> Every week we have a guest, and this week our guest is Aaron Tilsky-Williams. Greetings and salutations. So, uh, thanks for being on the uh, show there, Aaron. Oh, yeah. I've got many things that I am very curious to know if I like them still, or love them. <laughs> so, so, tell us a little about yourself, person I have not known for 14 years. Oh, well, let me <laughs> tell you everything you don't know. I like... Long walks? No, never mind. Uh, yeah, so I sell uh, wine for a living. I moved out to Los Angeles about 12 years ago to act. Um, and then I really got into wine, and so I do that now for a living. But on the side, I, you know, sometimes knit. So you're saying you were an, <laughs> you're, you're saying you were an actor who had a drinking problem and decided to turn that into your job. Yeah, well, I mean, <sighs> AA is for quitters. Right. Fun fact, she and her husband pretty much are just enthusiasts and experts on liquids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he in coffee, they both in beer, she in wine and spirits. Hanging out with them is just drinking liquids. We like to say we manage our uppers and downers. <laughs> so uh, when we uh, when we told Aaron about the idea for the show, she immediately was like, oh my God, let's do The Land Before Time. And uh, I couldn't enthusiastically agree more. So here we are doing a 1988's animated classic, the Land Before Time. Wow, it was 88? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Directed and produced by Don Bluth. This was part of the Don Bluth Studios, the same guys who did uh, The American Tales and The Secret of Nim. That's that sort of thing. Is that also Feifel Goes West? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, But interesting, this was executive produced by Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall. Mm-hmm. So, like, pretty much anybody who's ever made an important childhood a film from the 80s like they all produced this movie so i'm really hoping it's as enjoyable as i i remember it being. And it's not oh. made by committee <laughs> right yeah i i think i recall from a previous podcast how made by committee sometimes ends up yes, oh, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah so aaron yes in 30 seconds or less if you can tell me what is the land before time about uh, let's see. Okay, I remember there are, like, three or four different tiny baby dinosaurs. Um, obviously, you have the long neck one. You have the horn one. Clearly, there are no T-Rexes. They're bad guys. I remember they're bad guys. They're like sharks in any animated film. Uh, and they get lost from their parents, right? Sure. Is that what happens? You're yes. To tell me. I, okay, they get lost from their parents. <laughs> All I, the thing I remember most about them, to be completely honest... Is I had those really terrifying rubber hand puppets. Yeah, from Pizza Hut. Yeah, from Pizza. That's <laughs> from Pizza where they're Hut. from. It was, P- it was from Pizza Hut. Oh that's right. Oh my gosh! I yeah, kept thinking it was Hut. McDonald's or something, and no. it was Pizza Hut from the what was it? The Read a Book Club. Yeah, from Book It. Yes, Book, book it. it. Oh my gosh. Okay, it's all. Laura Wee's keeper of the Pizza Hut memories. <laughs> well, Pizza well, Hut was we, a strong portion. We of... did recently do napkin math and found out that Laura has eaten at least eight hundred pizzas in her lifetime. 
That is. We figured out more like six hundred. You did the math, but, on but I whole really pizzas. appreciate the fact that over time, every time you retell the story, an extra two hundred pizzas gets added. Yeah, yeah. You did the math for how many baskets of French fries you had in your lifetime, too. Oh, right? that's more like eight thousand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my daily breakfast. I'm trying to remember too. With the book at club, wasn't there like some big party that like your whole class had if everybody read a certain amount of books? Yeah, or pizza something? party. You got a big pizza yeah. and ice cream party, and they would bring it. To and the it's school. to the school. Oh. You had the button, and you would get a sticker for every book that you read. Yeah, guys, it's really important to get kids in the '80s and early '90s to read. So they essentially bribed us with food it, and pizza. And yeah, it was like the dare, like dare, you know, dare club for readers. Yeah, but did except dare, for well, they want you to do it. Yeah, not dare to never avoid gave it. me anything. If dare had given t-shirt. me some drugs to do, <laughs> I got a sweet T-shirt. Oh yeah, and I think I got a hat. Which I think now, I don't think I've ever seen a D.A.R.E. shirt worn unironically. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a sober person wearing a D.A.R.E. shirt, is what I'm saying. No comment if my bosses are listening. Um. <laughs> so I, I yes, must Laura, jump Laura in Weiss, and say... What do you remember? I remember one thing from this movie, and it was a very huge point of contention in my household. And that was, I remember the parents die. And I remember that I cried inconsolably for days after the parents died. So much so that I have, even though I remember fondly the nostalgia of this movie, I was not allowed to watch it after the first time because I was so inconsolably, like, just destroyed by the parental death in this movie that my mom was like, oh no, I am not having that level of tears. Was that, it... that, was a, that was the same deal with my brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think around the time this movie came out, I was about, I was five, six, but my brother was like two or three. And so he was just devastated. Because this is sort of like a new generation's Bambi, right? Like, Oh yeah, I wasn't allowed to die. watch Bambi more than once either. Yeah, I think Bambi mm-hmm. I saw when I was too young and it terrified the shit out of me. And then my brother saw Land Before Time when he was too young and it terrified the shit out of him. Was it both parents or was it just like the mother in that volcanic volcanic rock Might just situation? Been the mom. Oh, I don't even remember how she died. I thought I she got remember. attacked by a T-Rex, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Like all I really remember, I remember baby dinosaurs. I remember long neck bomb gets attacked by a T-Rex. I think she's dead. I remember... But there's lava somewhere. I remember T-Rexes and lava. Okay. And I somewhere. remember thinking Sarah was a butthead. I, uh, the only one I remember little <laughs> she was the triceratops tri- her name was yeah she was Sarah the triceratops and yes. I think even as a kid triceratops I think yeah even as a kid I was like oh I get where her name's coming from I'm clever like five year old <laughs> me is like I'm way ahead of the game on this one and uh, but she's I, I distinctly kind of remember her being like a bully and kind of a butthead to everyone and I remember just thinking every time she showed up like oh not her <laughs> they definitely went because I think the rest of them are little boy, well, male characters, right? Or are so. they? Because they definitely went with her mm-hmm. being like, well, you wouldn't call it as a child, but like the bitchy character. Right. I do remember that. Right. right. She's like Angelica from Rugrats. Yes. Yes. Uh, but and I I don't remember where they think they're going because like if the parent is dead, like I know it's a journey film, they're journeying somewhere, but I don't remember where they think they're going because. Their parents are dead. So, like, where do you go when your parents die? I think it's actually, like, our version of Ice Age where they get, like, 
far away from their parents and they've all gone to this mythical, wonderful place that still has like trees and, you know, isn't being destroyed. Oh, and so they right, have to get to the right. oasis. Remember? So wait, is this, is this like the apocalypse that kills all the dinosaurs is going yeah, on? Like does a comet yes. hit or something? They are the ones trying to survive in the nuclear wasteland. Oh shit. Yeah. So maybe, this... maybe. No, I think you're right. I think. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. See, I, so I remember this movie really, really fondly. In my mind, I love The Land Before Time. But if you ask my mother, she's like, Laura hates that movie. <laughs> so I'm so excited to just finally put this put this to bed once and for all. Yeah. So speaking of that, okay, so you so you would say that you think you still like it because you remember liking it. When I always heard the name Land Before Time, I was always like, yay! That might have been... Because I had all of the Pizza Hut hand puppets. That might have been why. <laughs> You're like, so, I love pizza, and I love Land Before Time toys. I got at Pizza Hut, therefore I must like the Land Before Time. That's how it works in 1988 yeah. when you're four years old. Yeah, and yeah. you could have recreated whatever, you know, kid kid history with mm -hmm. your characters in mean, your hand puppets. And maybe yeah. that's what you're choosing to remember versus, like, this horrific death march I don't that know. is the Land Before Time. I'm sorry. <laughs> so... <laughs> Horrific death march. Land Children's Before Time. Movie. The horrific death march of the dinosaurs. Uh, that was like their sixth to DVD. Or well, no, it wouldn't yeah. be DVD. Their sixth to VHS, VHS yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, how many? So so I know this number. I, okay. I'm disqualified. So we're going to play a little game. I'm disqualified for this game. Okay, I'm not looking. But um, uh, I'm going to pose to the two ladies, how many direct-to-VHS or direct-to-video sequels have there been to The Land Before Time uh, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll confirm after we watch the movie. So let's get our numbers out there now. Uh, Laura, you have home field advantage. What number do you think? I feel like I have heard the preposterous number land before time seven, and so I think there are six. Okay. I was also rotating around seven because it's one of my lucky numbers, but I was going the opposite direction, and I felt eight. All right. Okay. So, uh, so we'll, we won't even do prices right rules. If it's if it's six or under, Laura wins. If it's eight or higher, Aaron oh, wins. It's if it's over seven, under. if it's seven, you guys have to split it. Um, what are we, what are we splitting? Um, the respect of our podcast listening audience. Great. Oh, okay. Um, Great. That's fair. So, Aaron, do you think you will still love it? I do. I really do. Like it was one of those movies that I recall being like it wasn't I, I think it had one of those you know when you're a kid and it was on the repeat over and over and over again but I haven't watched it since approximately the age of eight or nine I'm guessing so I still think even for nostalgia purposes I will enjoy it yeah that's a good point Laura do you remember what age you were approximately maybe when the oh, last time I you was saw four. Oh, right because then mom did not let you watch anymore yeah I think I was, was young, I was yeah. pretty young too I think I would have been only five or six the last time because once it upset my brother so much and because you know anybody who's ever been just a pair of siblings you're forced to be your sibling's friend and so <laughs> anything I couldn't do anything my brother couldn't do I therefore also couldn't do so I remember the Land Before Time VHS was just put on the top shelf of the video cabinet where I couldn't reach it and neither could he. And so by the time I was old enough and tall enough to reach it, it's like, well, that's a kid's movie, so I didn't oh, watch man. it. Yeah, Marley and James and Allison Weiss have a lot in common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's that's awesome. shutting down the parent death. Yeah. So, I uh, want a fun uh, 
the whole sibling that, that re- mm-hmm. reminded me of my sister and I because we're basically completely opposite humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when we were growing up, um, her favorite thing to do used to be to um, play house. Like she'd have all these baby dolls yeah, and, you know, she'd do that, that whole thing. <laughs> and I was not about that. Like I wanted to play a Barbie fashion executive and like make outfits and have my mother judge our clothing, um, you know, each round. <laughs> uh, and I remember one time I got really pissed because she didn't want to play Barbie fashion executive. Uh, and <laughs> I went on a huge tirade telling her that their babies weren't real and she made a horrible mother, which is really sad if you're listening now, Laura. You're an amazing mother. Your kids are great. <laughs> so this should point out that your sister's name is Laura also. Yes. Oh, yes. wow. Oh, too hey. Many yeah, Laura's too many Lauras. Well, you had two Aaron's. Yeah, no, my sister-in-law's name was Aaron. Yeah. When Aaron and I used to live together, when the Aaron that's speaking on this microphone and I used to live together back in college, and I have she had a sister Laura and I had a sister Aaron. It was very confusing. Yeah, my parents always have to reference which one I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, mine too. Great. So, uh, how about you guys at home uh, sit down and enjoy some parental death and <laughs> maybe, the march maybe... of some baby dinosaurs to their inevitable demise? Grab a pizza. But yeah, grab a pizza, possibly from Pizza Hut. Most like, I mean, like you need. I feel like the homage to Pizza Hut really has to be a part of. Oh this. yeah, right, completely. Yeah. With their curled up pepperonis that were just cups of grease. I hated pepperoni. Oh, pizza the Hut cups of kid. grease. Yes, and the salad. And the salad <laughs> oh, bar. The cups of grease. That sounds yeah. wrong. And the salad bar that was only vaguely. I don't know. Salad-ish. Pizza Hut had a monopoly in my town, so I never had any pizza other than Pizza Hut or Frozen when I was growing up. So Pizza Hut was the nice pizza. See, so, you now we had a Pizza Hut that was right next to a Little Caesars, and I was a Little Caesars person. So every and I was like such a little <sighs> kind of so shit jealous. that I would argue with teachers when we would get like, "Hey guys, for all your reading, you get to go to Pizza Hut." I'm like, "Can we go to Little Caesars instead? Because Pizza Hut's gross." You entitled little <laughs> shit. I feel like Pizza Hut, uh, Pizza Hut, and Papa John's mark my transition between high school and college. Oh, I'm so sorry for that Papa John's face. Oh, oh. it was. But remember, you, we lived together. Yeah, it was, I like, hated the it. Easiest... I hated like literally every minute of it. Yeah, <sighs> but that was what we ate at 3 a.m. more often than not. It's you true. can tell who's not sponsoring our podcast. <laughs> 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 All right, everyone. So uh, pop open your preferred brand of pizza and enjoy pizza. the land before time. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg present a Don Bluth film, The Land Before Time. Long ago, when the earth was new, Five friends, lost and alone, took an incredible journey. You want to go with me? Yeah! Through a land of wonder and a land of danger. From the creators of an American tale comes a story of friendship. Do not stop! We must stay together! Courage. Oh, Oh, you can't quit now. What if the Great Valley is just over the top of these rocks? And laughter. (laughs) From Universal Pictures. Some things you see with your eyes. Others you see with your heart. 
a new adventure is born. The Land Before Time. All right, and uh, that was The Land Before Time. So uh, Magical. Yeah, a real brisk film at only an hour and nine minutes long, including the credits, so... Uh, I feel like that's the right length for a child's, a children's movie. I actually do too, and not because of the children necessarily, but because of the parents who are going to have to endure the children's favorite movie over and over and over again. Right, right. Right. Of course, I don't know if this really can quite be qualified as a children's movie. Yeah, I think from from the get-go, there is a... Uh, this is a pretty dark film. As yeah. I wrote down, this is some raw shit. Like, <laughs> I totally get why I was completely distraught by this film at a young age. They basically are like, oh, hey, we're not going to give you any of the fluffy stuff normal children's movies give you, or basically everything that you get as a child is fluffy stuff that makes you think everything's just like rainbows and Pop-Tarts. We're going to show you about the death of your family, the death of your race, and uh, we're going to make these children live without food and get chased by an actual, not like a fake, an actual predator for the entire time. And one of those characters, you were right, Marshall, is just a bitch. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to use... Uh... You know, too strong, too strong of language. <laughs> but like, she's like the character of Sarah is definitely a bully, like an unrepentant, petulant bully from the beginning of the movie, literally until the climax. And like, she yeah. is a racist. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was another thing. Like, there were some deep themes in this movie yeah. that I did not pick up on as a child. No, well, I mean, well, like, subconsciously maybe. I don't know. I know. I. I would have never had an idea that this film was about mixing or not mixing different kinds. Right. So yeah. uh, in the movie, uh, early on, like the different kinds of plant-eating dinosaurs uh, divide themselves up by what type of dinosaur they are. And there's like a critical scene early on when Littlefoot first meets Sarah, the Triceratops, and they're starting to play together. And then Sarah's father intervenes and is like, uh, we stick to our own kind. We don't associate with three long... horns. Never play with long necks. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because then immediately after that, Sarah parrots him, and I was just like, "Wow, this is about learned racism." Like, <laughs> Sarah was all about playing with Littlefoot until her dad's like, "No, no, 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 no. We we don't play with other races." And then immediately Sarah's like, "Yeah." Don't play with other races. And then she spends <laughs> the next 60 minutes being a brat about other races and being incredibly, like, independent to a fault, being like, I can do it for myself all the time. Yeah. Which I felt was a, a bit of... I felt like I saw myself uncomfortably in that character then. <laughs> <laughs> Not the racist part. <laughs> so far as to say the, the bitch part. The I mean. The, the independent part where she's like, I'm gonna find my own food. And then Littlefoot throws her food when she hits her head against a tree to like look like she had gotten her own food. And she's like eating the food. And she's like, yeah, I got this food for myself. And he's like, girl. Yeah. So you had some deep soul searching. I did. I did. Yes. <laughs> I, I feel like this movie will make me a better person. <laughs> yeah. So something I thought was interesting is, um, 
like I, I love dinosaurs and I think part of the reason I, I like this movie a lot when I was a kid is is because of how much I love dinosaurs. And an interesting thing is when when we were young in the eighties, the scientific community was still pretty divided on what they thought killed all the dinosaurs. I think it's pretty safe to say nowadays it's generally accepted that uh, asteroid collision with the Earth which uh, resulted in nuclear winter, that's what ended the the reign of the dinosaurs. Oh, but it wasn't it wasn't humans 6,000 years ago? No. No, no. no, no. I mean, according there, to there, science... There were some, you know, mysticism themes in this movie, but I don't think they were trying to, to give that okay. angle. Yeah. No. <laughs> so uh, the next film does not introduce the humans? No, I don't think no. so. Okay. Um, does the eighth film? Uh, there, are eight, <laughs> there are eight, right? I was uh, correct. Oh, we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> Uh, so the interesting throughout this whole movie, it's going with one of the other popular theories at the time, which was mass volcanic eruption threw up uh, ash into the sky, and that eventually killed all the plants, which killed all the plant eaters, which killed all the meat eaters. So we're witnessing, and I believe Aaron put it best, like, are we witnessing a dinosaur apocalypse movie? Like, I, I kept watching it, and especially at the end, they had the narrator come back in and say... They told this story for generations and generations. And all I could think is, they got like 100 years tops, maybe. Right. You know? <laughs> it was Just, raining like, ash like snow in one of the final yeah. scenes. Yeah. So I'm sitting there watching it. I'm just like, it feels like, because now, like in, in our current you know, storytelling climate, dystopian futures are really popular, but they're human dystopian futures. And I couldn't help watching this thinking, is this like the dinosaur dystopian future, but no one tells them it doesn't matter because they're all going to die in the end anyway? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so there's this, whole, <laughs> there's this whole extinction event going on, and in the midst of all of it, Littlefoot is indoctrinated with belief in the Great Valley by his mother, and there's a strange, like, religion scene where he's like, Mother, have you ever seen the Great Valley? And she's like, no, but there are some things you see with your eyes, and some things you see with your heart. Along with the cantankerous old uh, dinosaur right after his mother dies, who does the whole, like, she's always going to be with you as long as you've, you know, taken her lessons with you. Right, right. Yeah, so there is a bit of, like... And then, uh, and then obviously, also, his mother does the Mufasa in the clouds bit a couple times. Yes. Ah, uh, proto-Mufasa. 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 Uh, I, I would say that Mufasa pulled was the... Littlefoot's mom. Yeah, Littlefoot's mom in the clouds. Because right. Lion King was nice in Nice job, Disney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and sp so speaking of which, this was, so this was a Don Bluth film, and interestingly, this was the only 1980s Don Bluth film that did not feature the voice talents of Dom DeLuise. And you'll remember him. He was the voice of Tiger the Cat from the Fievel movies. Who would have Dom DeLuise have voiced in this film? <laughs> I could see him playing Petrie. <laughs> Petrie. Yeah, because oh. Dom DeLuise has kind of a frantically <laughs> thing. I that... thought it would be cute if, if they'd given Spike a voice. Uh-huh. That would have been cute. Well, uh, so interesting note that I think Laura will appreciate is that the character Spike was inspired by and his actions derived from the behavior of Don, Lu Don Bluth's pet Chow named Cubby. Oh! 
So they I totally see him as a chow. So they filmed a lot of Cubby the Chow flopping around, eating food, napping, and they use that as a basis of animation for I Spike. I love chow. So speaking of the animation, that brings up another point that you brought up right before we started watching it, how like beautiful the animation was. And I kept thinking about that, watching it the whole way through. I was like, it's kind of like an art piece that they put little dinosaur animation in front of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of the Don Blue films, The to me, the things that makes them really enjoyable to watch is that the backgrounds are fully painted, like just gorgeous landscapes that then, yeah, they animate on top of. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is kind of draws a, a difference from some of the... Uh, Disney animated films where both the backgrounds and the foregrounds are oftentimes rendered at the same time and they a lot of times will have lower uh, detail quality. Not that they'll be uglier, but just the Don Bluth backgrounds are so rich with it's just, stuff. Well, I it's mean, they're distinct. like they're like done in they're done in like colored pencil. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, they're just it's yeah, it's it's definitely art. It's it's so nice to it's it's so nice to revisit um Pre, uh, pre computer animation, pre like Pixar style. Yeah, after so many years of that being the only type of animation that we get, because in my mind, all of these movies that were like pre computer drafting are computer drafted in my head now, because that's just what I am used You're to for an animation. All, yeah. yeah. So revisiting that, I'm like, whoa, someone picked up a pencil and drew this, and then they drew the next frame, and then they drew the next frame, yeah. and holy do, crap. Does Disney do sell animation movies anymore? Like, I feel like they did, like, The Princess and the Frog was, a, like, that's a relatively uh -huh. recent sell animation one, but I feel like for the most part, didn't now Disney Animation and Pixar, which sometimes get confused because they're both owned by Disney, but they each put out CGI movies. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. instead of cell, traditional cell animation. And I can't recall if they do traditional cell animation movies I don't remember. Anymore. I don't know. Well, and like Princess and the Frog, like we're saying recent, but wasn't that like mid-aughts? Yeah, oh yeah, that's probably close to 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, before, the, before we watched the movie, I had the ladies guess how many direct-to-video sequels there were to this movie. I believe uh, Aaron had the over and Laura had the under, and uh, I'm afraid that uh, Laura Aaron will walk away with this one because yes. The Land Before Time had 13 what? direct <laughs> to video sequels. Like, okay, is it like a day in the life each time? Or else, by the time you're done, you have. Uh, I, I don't understand. Is it, is it Simpsons Are they style where like they the always. Same age? Yeah, that's my question. Okay. Is there... So, let's see. Uh, reading right here, um, the, the sequels. And the tele there was also a television series briefly in the aughts. Neither of the neither none of the sequels nor the television series had any involvement from Bluth or Lucas or Spielberg. Of These course, were, um, the films continue to follow the friendship of the the principal five characters. Uh, let's see. It says briefly after finding the Great Valley, they raise a carnivorous baby sharp tooth, survive a drought, a cold snap, they witness a solar eclipse. I think I remember the carnivorous baby sharp tooth. Yeah. I feel like if you are the, uh, if you are the eaten, you should not raise an eater. Right. 
Right. Well, it's I, the whole baby Hitler thing. Sound logic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, they'll, it'll only betray you in the end. And yeah. Even if, yeah. Even if it doesn't betray you in the end, it'll betray. You, someone it will else betray of your some. Kind. You'll have to witness it eat somebody that you could be friends with. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's and it's not even its fault. It. I mean, it cannot survive. I think I recall from that movie them trying to get it to eat plants and stuff, and it being like, Nah, dude. This yeah. isn't going to work. Yeah, some of these movies have, like, some really corny-sounding titles. There's one... So, The Great Valley Adventure was the first one. But they also had The Time of Great Giving. There was The Stone of Cold Fire. Like, what? Uh, that, it's a that's Harry a Potter salad. book. That yeah. is a word uh, salad. There's Journey to Big Water. The Great Long Neck Migration. Like, just there's lots of... The Wisdom of Friends is, an ep- is a... Wow. So, All right. That's... That's actually, okay, so the Harry Potter thing, that actually brings up an interesting point, because did you have this, where I thought the soundtrack very frequently reminded me of the soundtrack for all of the Harry Potter movies. No. Like, I totally had moments where I was just You're like, wrong. this is, I'm, I mean, I'm just saying. Wait, what are you saying? I'm saying <laughs> that the soundtrack to Land Before Time reminds me of the soundtrack to Harry Potter. And I was just being Oh, I see what you Okay. Um... <laughs> So the, <laughs> whatever Trilora tops. So the yeah, thing, going again with the like the religious like there did feel like there was sort of a Littlefoot was a like Moses character constantly going. This is the way you have to believe me. We're gonna journey through this terrible world, but there will be a promised land beyond. I also felt that way with the whole like heading west thing. It had kind of a you know manifest destiny, American exceptionalism kind of thing going on. So he's a little bit like the Donner Party or Joseph Smith or Brigham Young. I hope he's not like the Donner Party. I hope he's not. I don't. Well, they raise they raise a meat eater in the sequels, and they did almost you know die of starvation. So maybe a little closer to the Donner Party than we think. Yeah, this movie featured a lot of risk of starvation more than I think I'm used to in kids' films. This no, this movie had a lot of every disturbing theme that you're not used to in kids' films. I feel like that's in a lot of kids' films from the 80s and 90s, but we weren't thinking about it because there was just enough humor and just enough cute other stuff. But this one was, as I said when I was watching the beginning, the the, gratuitous amount of love between the mother and Littlefoot in the beginning set it was just so so heartwarming and beautiful building a powder oh, and just yeah. god yeah. you just like I want that with my baby and then they just kill her uh, but not only yeah. do they kill her but it's a drawn out it's drawn scary out. sequence so drawn out and then where she gets she... attacked she gets no like two things happen to her she gets attacked by whatever it's called sharp yeah, sharp tooth sharp tooth she gets attacked by sharp tooth and she's got like a piece of her back missing and then as she's running around with a piece of her back missing running away from sharp tooth an earthquake just happens yeah yeah in the middle of this fight and so really everything is against her right <laughs> also important to note from the section before this when i thought oh both parents died no little two's mother was a proud single mother <laughs> yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and little and, tooth, and little a little foot. <laughs> and if anything, this movie almost was a bit like more gut punchy than Bambi, because I believe in Bambi, they know there's a hunter in the woods. All the animals are fleeing. Bambi gets separated from his mother, and then you hear the gunshot. But I don't think you ever actually 
see the corpse. Is there that like horrifying death scene in Bambi too, where like she you know whispers to Bambi and is like, "Oh my child, I is, love you forever." No, there? I think that she. I think that Bambi just runs up and Mom's dead. So maybe this is an important thing. Maybe Aaron, we need to have you back on some future episode where we'll watch Bambi because I feel like I don't have any firm recollection of Bambi either. Aaron, do you want to watch all of these movies where do you want to watch all the so? Yeah. Can I just be the staple mom death? Yeah, person? can you yeah. be the mom yeah. death animation? Yeah, no, no, mom no. death animation. Yeah, no, I'm down. That's, That's great. I, that'll it's be great. my specialty. I'll put what it on an my exciting resume. reality. <laughs> so, uh, how do you guys feel like this has this move? How this movie has aged? Do you think it is child appropriate now? I mean, given our rough childhood experiences with it. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I feel like we were, as children, raised in kind of a coddled way. Like, our parents, or some of our parents, enough of our parents, like, they grew up hunting. They grew up with blood. They grew up in a world where not everything was bought at the grocery store quite yet. You know, like, or at least their parents had. There was there was an understanding that I feel like we're the first generation that's so truly removed from that ever being a part of our world. And so I feel like we were all wrapped up in this, like, oh, yeah, everything's packaged and easy and clean and sterile. We're, and we this were, movie's not like that. When we were kids, was was the Bubble Boy a thing when we were kids? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Like, this Boy. movie's not like that. This movie comes in, and it's actually very honest. Yeah. And I think why it was so traumatizing to me as a kid, and, like, as I said, I remember loving this movie, but I was to remember it, like, ripping me apart, is this was the only movie that was kind of brave enough to be like, this is what it's really like. You're gonna love and then you're gonna lose and it's gonna fucking suck. But so, then life goes on. I feel like it's appropriate for kids. I think I think you and your brother's experience, Marshall, is the is the correct way to look at this. I think it's appropriate for kids, maybe not four-year-old kids. Mm -hmm. Like kids who understand, who've had like their first pet die or something, uh, okay. you know? And because there are some really good themes in there, you know? Mm -hmm. There, I was surprised at the amount of adult themes in the movie. Like, I was thinking to myself, would I share this with my child? Okay. And I feel like I would. I feel like I would absolutely share it with my child, but I feel like it has to be with an attentive parent who wants to sit down and be like, okay, so I just dropped a, a big load of truth on you, kid. You want to have a conversation, you know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And interesting is this movie is actually toned down from the initial oh, God. of it. Uh, there's there's like an interesting note here about how Steven Spielberg advised that approximately 10 minutes of the movie get removed and that some of the screams of our main characters be re-recorded to be less terrified and more alarmed because apparently the initial the initial one had part of the reason why I think the middle act feels kind of short is uh, I guess it, it was a much longer film at one point, but with more scary moments, run-ins with more scary dinosaurs, and a lot more like terror. And so Steven Spielberg said that he had apparently learned from E.T. that E.T. has a few moments that are a little too scary that was causing kids to like weep, <laughs> like weep in the lobbies of the cinemas, and that was causing a lot of issues. Uh, and so Steven Spielberg told Don Bluth, like, we should maybe tone this down. You don't want crying children in your movie well, lobbies. Well, he failed because I was inconsolable at <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is still, there, the sharp tooth is still quite terrifying. And there are many moments where I'm sure a character is about to die. Yeah. So 
if this is toned down, I wonder what those 10 minutes left on the cutting room floor were like. Oh, my God. I feel like this movie, though, taught me as a kid, like, the rules of who can die in a movie. Like, if somebody oh. dies early, most likely everybody they introduce after the first death is safe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we thought P- there's a moment where you think Petrie's dead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't remember Petrie dying. Do you, really? And then it's like just a fake out. But man, you fake out the kids with the death in the movie. Like, these poor kids have already had their hearts torn out having to think about what will happen if their own mom dies. They have yeah. to get let go of Petrie. They have to let go of their favorite friend. Good thing they didn't milk that for too terribly long. Yeah, like, no. yeah. Within, no. within 30 seconds of you thinking him dead, he's back. But just long enough for Aaron to shout, wait, wait, Petrie dies? <laughs> uh Great. Okay, so if there was any changes you would make to this movie, uh, like, you know, if you were if you were producing it today, just like Steven Spielberg turns to Don Bluth and says, you should probably tone down the violence just a little bit. Do you, uh, how do you feel about this movie as it stands right now? Would you make any changes? I have a hard time answering that question because I can't look past my nostalgia for the movie. Like, everything about it, especially watching it again and remembering exactly what the sequence of events were, like, I feel a deep nostalgia for exactly how it is. And it's one of those things that it's, like, it's no less violent than a lot of movies that are out there that kids watch, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not like it's pointless violence necessarily, because I feel like a lot of modern kids' movies have pointless violence. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, all the violence serves a narrative, I think. Laura? Um, I would toy with changing the gratuitous mother love section. Uh-huh. Just so it's not so, like, it's so beautiful. And then just the second, you're, you're so comfortable and so warm, and then they just kill her uh-huh. in a horrible, long, drawn-out way. Uh-huh. And so you, you start the movie with a broken heart. And for a children's movie, I don't know if that's always the best idea, but... I am also open to saying maybe it is. Though I, one thing I would absolutely change, I would give Sarah a little more of an arc. Yeah, let her be a bit more of a decent yeah. dinosaur. Because she's the closest thing to a personality villain that we have, but we're not supposed to see her that way. Right, because the, the T-Rex is more of just like a, an antagonistic force. Yeah. Give her a little bit more complexity. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they tried. Yeah. They tried, but I, I feel as though um, I feel as though she was just always this squeaky wheel that could have been a little bit more. I feel like we I feel like we could have gotten a payoff where they were like, Oh, we can be friends even though we're different. Right. Because you get Well yeah, because we only get that in the very end when yeah. they kind of overcome and they're like and they played together forever in the valley. Yeah, and I think it's a little dangerous. I think it's a little dangerous for, for a children's movie, just coming from our highly, like, PC world now, where we're very, very aware of, like, you know, um, race and and uh, trying to find a way to, to teach these lessons to our children to, you know, not distrust people of a different color than you or be open to them. Um, I think it's kind of dangerous to over and over and over again say, we don't mix with other kinds, and then just expect at the very end that the um, the presentation of them, you know, staying together even after they go back to their own kinds yeah. is enough. Because you're saying it, like verbally, 
constantly. And I feel like there needed to be a moment where Sarah and Littlefoot looked at each other and they were like, friends. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't ever really have a resolution well, on that. Yeah, because I'm thinking about it, like the climax of the movie when they finally defeat the T-Rex the required kind of all of them to use their various skills, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, but Sarah isn't around for the planning where it's like, Petrie, you will keep an eye out and, you know, and Spike will use his strength and Ducky will use her speed and and together we and then like Littlefoot obviously putting together the plan uses his brain like they will together defeat this monster but ultimately they need Sarah's strength as well but Sarah just kind of comes along to save the day and because she hasn't learned a lesson you're you wouldn't be surprised if immediately afterwards if she had gone see you guys you needed me the whole time you know I'm yeah. so important right yeah. <laughs> so there it would have been nice if she had been present to for Littlefoot's laying out the plan because at one point she does call him like a dumb flathead, and so well at another laid... point she she talks shit on the sides of his brain and she also talks shit on the sides of his mother's brain his right. dead mother's dead yeah mother's his brain. dead mo- that is low uh, yeah, yeah. and low, so Sarah. it it might have been better if she had been present for the plan. Like to begrudgingly go like, You're well, right. it's, not, it's not a bad plan. Yeah, yeah. she and could yes. choose to acquiesce. Yeah. Right, because then she could have been like, oh, okay, well, we all had something to contribute. You were right. We couldn't have done this. Like if we could have had Sarah say something like, oh, we we couldn't have done this apart. Like it required us to be together. Right. So I guess this comes to the big question. Uh, do I still love it? And uh, yeah, I think it's still real cute. I And the animation was like gorgeous. Uh yeah, I I really still like it. Yeah, I I completely still love it. I I and it's not just nostalgia speaking. It is definitely nostalgia for sure. But like the movie also holds up. I didn't really have a moment like you have in some of those movies that you loved as a kid where I did the ooh this is awkward. This whole acting directing sequence is just yeah. Like, <laughs> I never really had, a, like, a cringe-worthy moment where I was like, I used to love this once. Mm-hmm. You have horrible taste, five-year-old Aaron. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I, I feel as though I pick... I feel as though the reason why this movie was hard for me, and it's a rare movie where I have really good memories about it and really bad memories about it. I feel like I picked up as a four-year-old that there's something in here that's deeper than a children's movie. And so this is really interesting to go back and watch this one as an adult because this is an adult uh, film. It's d- it, definitely adult themes. Yeah, This is adult themes that I, I never would have gotten as a kid. And so it's interesting because I can kind of go back like 30 years or 28 years in the past and just be like, kid, the fact that you were ambivalent about this makes sense. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so I'm going to say I probably feel the exact same way that I felt about it then, which I just now understand why which was, this is a beautiful film that also traumatized me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, yes, I love it. Um, but as with some things, I had multiple minds about it, which you rarely have as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's interesting because I think maybe there is a chance, though, that like some of these messages, especially about like uh, race and about judging people uh, based on just like outward appearance, uh, might still have gotten through to you or gotten through to any kid through subliminal because just like subliminal messaging because now that I'm looking back on it this this movie is a little bit Bambi and a little bit um, 
I believe it's a Hans Christian Andersen tale, The Musicians of Bremen, which is all about a group of... I never saw that. Huh? Do you remember the... You just like wormholed so far back into the back (laughs) of my brain. I have no idea what that is, but it's like you just brought something back from another life. So I think I think I'm remembering the name of the town. Like I think it's called the Musicians of Bremen, and it's a uh, like a you know a fairy tale. But it's about a bunch of barnyard animals, different species of barnyard animals, who I, I can't remember why, but they are they are going somewhere on a journey together, and it's like a rooster and a horse and a goat and a, like a sheep. And they all have, like, a different skill because, you know, a rooster can fly and crow and a horse is really fast and can kick. And initially they don't get along very well, but together exploiting their various attributes allows them to overcome a bunch of obstacles. And so I think as a kid, those kinds of stories, along with, like, Land Before Time, I think definitely got into my brain about the idea of, like, you know, people have strengths, and if you can play to those strengths, you can accomplish things that you, who may lack a certain strength, can't do. So mm-hmm. so maybe not about racism, but I think these definitely the message about teamwork got yeah. through to me as a kid. I, like the Captain Planet attack. Exactly. You know, yeah. Like, Where all of us are like, we have to save the Earth. Yeah, with our powers combined, we can do a lot more. Yeah. So, sounds like we all still loved it. So, uh, I want to thank Aaron for being on our show. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so, this definitely is... make sure to follow us at Do I Still Love It on Instagram and on Twitter. And we also are on Facebook.com slash Do I Still Love It. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at Do I Still Love It at gmail.com and check out the website, Do I Still Love It.com. So, uh, I'm Marshall James. I'm Laura Weiss. And I'm Aaron Williams. <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's go eat some tree stars. Yep, yep, yep. 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 This has been a